0: Welcome to the Talking to Ourselves podcast. I'm Omid Farhang, founder at Majority. My guest today, Mark Gross, co-founder and CCO at High Dive. Since its inception in 2016, High Dive quickly became one of the great indie agencies in the U.S. They were Adweek's 2020 Breakthrough Agency of the Year, among Fast Company's 2021 Most Innovative Agencies, and a 2023 AdAge A List standout. High Dive is the agency behind some of your favorite recent Super Bowl ads including Anna Kendrick and Barbie for Rocket Mortgage, Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd for Lay's, my personal favorite, Bill Murray reprising Groundhog's Day for Jeep. Prior to starting High Dive, Mark spent 23 years at DDB Chicago, where he created a slew of iconic work, headlined by the Bud Light campaign, Real Man a Genius. In 2012, Business Insider named Mark one of the top 25 most creative people in advertising, his list of awards includes an Emmy, two can Grand Prix, and many more. Mark's been a part of more than 75 Super Bowl ads, placing number one on USA Today's ad meter four times. The guy is a beast. This is Mark Gross and I talking to ourselves. All right, man. Well, thank you for joining. It's great to meet you. Um, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, your agency's been an inspiration to my agency and many small agencies, and uh, you're, man, if it's amazing the impact that you can make in seven years. When I saw seven years, I was sort of shocked. I was like, I feel like those guys have been around for like 15 years. I know. Well, first of all, yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you for having me on. I uh, greatly appreciate it. I'm a, I'm a big podcast listener. So um, this it, it'll be nice to look over on my favorites of my podcast in my car that uh, I'll be on one. Um, yeah, it, it it feels longer. But, uh, you know, God, I, I always say it's a combination of... Uh, you know, talent, hard work, uh, and a lot of luck. You know, I think being in the right place at the right time. I don't know the famous quote. They say that uh, it's it's not luck. You know, hard hard work begets luck. But uh, I definitely think we had some lucky breaks go our way. Other things not go our way. But um, yeah, it's been it's been. I pinch myself. It's it's been a nice ride.
0: I read so, a great. I read some great advice in some business magazine about interviewing people and essentially asking them to tell you their story and if the person is telling you about their accomplishments and not at least making some reference to luck beware i think about we don't talk enough about luck but like and yes you to some extent you create your own luck but sometimes it's just there's a timing or an alchemy that feels like it's out of your control and you just go man i'm glad i i'm glad i tried a without having any idea that b would be the the outcome for sure and i think it's probably my my persona you know
1: i think i'm i'm more self deprecating than anything um you know you get a little bit of that imposter syndrome so you always want to credit the credit it to something else but uh, yeah for sure i think uh, i don't know i'm a big tim ferriss listener and uh, on his podcast and yes luck is definitely i think a part of some you know it's funny we don't remember the uh, probably the unlucky times where we had to overcome something and those that set us back a little bit. We, we, you know um, there certainly was plenty of those, but uh, certainly the, some of the luck has propelled us for sure.
0: That's interesting. I sort of, sometimes I almost feel the opposite. It's like when you're in a pitch that you win um, or, you know, you present a piece of work that ends up, you know, making it through and and it, it felt like it had no chance. Like, the, the thing that you hoped happened when it does happen, you, I guess our lives move so fast that you go, okay, well, like now we got to make sure the thing that we sold needs to be great or the pitch that we won, you know, like, let's start the new marathon. So, and I think a lot of athletes talk about this too. It's like when we win, we're supposed to win. When we lose, we lament the losses and beat ourselves up. And it's, you know, so are you, are you a person where the, the, um, the joy of victory is commensurate with the disappointment of when things don't go your way? Um, I think, are you able to feel joy, Mark? It, it's a great question. And, you know, I think both Chad
1: and myself, I think we're probably good partners because I don't know if we, I don't know if I'm probably in my life. I, I, I have happiness issues in general, <laughs> but uh, that's probably a whole nother podcast, but um, not as much as we would have liked to. And Chad and I always talk about that and we we laugh at that. Um, I think the first thing I do when we, you know, want a piece of business recently, we can announced quite yet but yeah the first thing is is yes that's amazing I always tell the clients we'll we'll celebrate tonight and then tomorrow we're gonna hit the ground running but there's not much joy no you you, you have your celebration you love it and then we're just I think that's what's made us successful I think we just okay now let's get to work and um we, we should celebrate <laughs> celebrate more I think it's probably that psychology of don't they say like you hit the lottery and then you feel like you're gonna go down on the plane the next day like you're not deserving of. Uh, you know of the winnings, but it shouldn't be that way. It should be that maybe you have more luck from now on. So, um, long answer, but no. Over the over the seven years, we have not enjoyed ourselves as much as we probably should have. I think we're concentrating on on winning and doing better work and winning more business. Yeah.
0: Well, it's reassuring. I'm two and a half years in. It's so nice to know that. If we make it to year seven, at year seven, there's no more wisdom or enlightenment that comes with seven years that, that's not already there at two and a half years.
1: Yeah, I always felt like when I started the agency, I would, um, you know, there's there's different headaches and pressures you have when you're working for a large agency. And I thought like, oh, I work for myself and it'll be, you know, that'll come. And then you just have other worries. You have other headaches and different things that. That you're worried about keeping the doors open and making sure your employees are challenged and happy and and uh yeah, winning new biz and the biz and the biz. It's always, in our industry because it's so fickle and precarious that um the 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 panic of always winning new business is is always looming.
0: Well, we're gonna get we're gonna come back to that. But first, Mark, where are you from and what did your parents do? Great question. My mom was a
1: stay-at-home mom. They met in college, still married, living in Fort Lauderdale. My dad uh, was born and bred bred in Jersey City area, and so was I. So I was born in a proud Jerseyite. Uh, And then at two, they moved me out to Springfield in the suburbs. So I was living in Bayonne until I was two years old. And then in 1970, they moved out to the Burbs. And my dad uh, owned a plumbing and heating supply company, wholesale and retail. Uh, that had been in the family since the '30s. So my great grandfather started it, and then uh, my grandfather Abe took it over, and then my father worked in the business, and I did as well um, for a couple summers. So you know, when when I was choosing a career, he always offered that out to me, like, if you want to take the business, you can. It's it's yours if you want it. But uh, no, I, I decided not not to sell toilets.
0: You didn't, yeah. But you didn't choose the posh white collar lifestyle of of uh, toilet selling. Well, what yeah. did you what did you want to do? You know, you learn a lot. About people based on what they dreamed of being when they grow up? What did 12-year-old Mark want to be when he grew up?
1: You know, I, I, I tell this story to students and when people ask about my career. I, I actually, from a, a pretty young age, I knew I wanted to do advertising, which is bizarre. I went into school for it. So I'm an art director by trade. I was able to draw very well. You know, early on in third or fourth grade, people were like, whoa, he's a great artist. And so I had art classes... In the moment i was in fourth grade maybe younger and um i got into high school and one of my best teachers i had in any teacher i've had through all of my education in my life uh, mr broadman was a t- terrific art teacher and um you know he pushed me to maybe want to do something in the field of art Simultaneously, you know and at, at some point in one of my classes in came someone who was a graduate of our high school jonathan dayton and they had been working at i forgot where they were but he had done the great Poupon work back in the day The you know pardon me and uh you know he showed us the work and it was inspiring i really liked it that same year one of our teachers showed us a cleo uh favorites awards reel in our class our high school english class and i was like i love that they're funny they're mini films you know it just it was inspiring and so i wanted to pursue a career in uh in advertising. And I chose, you know, I looked at, you know, I got into Carnegie Mellon and a and Syracuse. I didn't want to be a fine artist. I was like, I want to make money doing this. You know, I, I want something in communication. So I chose Syracuse. Um, but I, I brag and tell people I got into Wash U, even though uh, <laughs> I chose Syracuse as the better academic school. But um, yeah, I, I went into school, uh, had core art. My, uh, freshman sophomore year and then your junior year you have to choose what you want i was i was paralleling graphic design and advertising and i chose advertising design and i got an internship a shy day um while i was in college and that was it so yeah young 12 year old mark i guess um wanted wanted to get in advertising it's kind of boring i have no other uh you know now mark Advertising Mark would like to do something else about. Now
0: you'd like to be an astronaut. Yeah.
1: Now I'd like to be an astronaut. I yeah dog daycare. So I, I looked into that once. Um, I was, I'm a nut about dogs, so I was interested in opening a, a dog daycare.
0: Well, you had some brushes with greatness early in your career. Uh, 1991 RGA. Uh, first of all, what were you walking into in in 1991 at RGA? How might a maybe a colleague describe you as a young whippersnapper art director?
1: It's a great, you know, how I got that job is so interesting. Like I graduated with my book. I'm like totally insecure about it. It's, you know, it's daunting. I, Some people, you know, we have portfolio reviews and they put notes in your book and send it back. I think I had an interview with BBDO early on in New York. And I didn't have a job yet. I was working for my dad and I called my uncle who is a uh, Hollywood editor. He edited, uh, he won the Academy Award for the right stuff. He did World According to Garp, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. He was an editor. And so I call him like, hey, I'm out of school. Steven, do you know anybody? I'm looking for a job. So he goes, well, I I know RGA from doing the post effects on World According to Garb. Why don't you call Bob Greenberg and maybe they have something. So I call up, I get Bob Greenberg directly on the phone. And um, I'm like, hey, Stephen Rodder's my uncle, blah, 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 And he goes, uh, he was it, taken aback. It was funny. I remember him being like, okay. And um, I got an interview with Kyle Cooper, who was running their advertising and marketing and post effects and graphic design and he's super talented Yale graduate he went on to start um I forgot his uh he, he won the Academy award for doing the titles to seven like an amazing designer and I showed him her portfolio nothing happened and a couple months later he called me back and said I need a jack of all trades I liked your portfolio because you had graphic design you had advertising uh I want kind of a little bit of both of that you have to promote us you have to do some some design work, and that's that's how I got that job. And they hired me freelance. Really, I was full time freelance for five months. Um, so it wasn't a full time gig, but incredible experience, early experience. Yeah.
0: Then you make your way to Shyatt, New York, and any Lee Cloud stories you're able to share. Or did he leave a mark on you, even if he didn't have time for a, a, a you know a, a junior? Um, you know, he didn't, he,
1: he would come in once in a while for big presentations that I was responsible for basically boarding up, uh, as a young, young and in the business, but, um, you know, he just was always cool, calm and collected. He has such a great, uh, demeanor, but, um, I didn't have a ton of interactions with him early on, but you just knew of the legend and, you know, any brushes I had with him were, were terrific. You know, he'd come in in his flip flops and jeans and, um, it was it was like a, a Harry Yoda walking into the room. Um, but yeah, ton of it's, respect. Hard
0: to, it's hard to know what to say to those guys when you're new to the business. I started at Crispin when it was, you know, Alex was the new Lee. And it's like you want this exposure to the greats and then you get in their office and you have five minutes. and You're like, I don't know what to fucking ask you. I don't you know, I have very little in common with you. It can be pretty nerve wracking, actually. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I was, I agree, I was such a junior at the
1: time. And there, there were some greats that, who went on to like direct now, like I was uh, working for David Shane, and um, Steve Miller, the director was there. And Dick Sittig was uh, the CCO at the time, Ty Montague, who went on to do incredible things. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I agree, I think you sort of got a little bit of FaceTime when you could, but otherwise, you were just kind of reporting into the CDs. But uh yeah, it's, it's intimidating for sure.
0: From there you go to Chicago with your wife from the Midwest. You spend 22 years at DDB Chicago. You know, sometimes we get a new job by changing companies. And then sometimes we get a new job by staying at the same company as everything around us changes multiple times. In your 22 years at DDB Chicago, how many different jobs did that feel like? Well...
1: It's funny, my titles were getting better, although I stayed in beer for a long time. And really, the time, in that run, it was such a terrific client and such a great place to be in the business. So I started out there as an art director, immediately got promoted to creative director on what was Bud Light. Uh, you know, they they picked CDs on Budweiser. John Amasotti, who was my CD time, picked myself and Bill Tremino, my partner, on Bud Light. And we rode that for a long time. And... uh. You know, eventually, uh, my partner had left, and John had left, and made room for me to become group creative director of the account, and that was a tremendous promotion, having one of the best accounts in the city and and running it. Um, and then uh, you and Patterson came in. I never really raised my hand for CCO. Part of me wanted to like just stay below the radar. I was happy with what I was getting paid, and happy with what I was doing. And uh, you and Patterson came in, and then promoted me to executive creative director. So you know, I always tell everyone I love, you know, the, I, the three things I always say are, do you like who you're working with, what you're working on, uh, and what you're getting paid? And, you know, I always had all three of those. And so I felt like there was a progression in my career. And I certainly tried to hop a few times, we were going to go to Burnett once, so we never did. And um, I looked around, but I, you know, part of me, I, I didn't want to rock the boat until, you know, I got edgy and started high dive, but uh, it was great. And then, We were winning awards. We created Real Men of Genius at the time there. I was doing Super Bowl work. They had a ton of production. So you're getting your feet wet in production. Production is always the most fun, I think, in the business. And so it was, you know, it was great. I had a great group of people I was working with, uh, even though probably too male oriented at the time. (laughs) Um, Those were the times back then, but it was great.
0: Man, you glossed over Real Men of Genius. I'll go ahead and say for you, Definitely the best radio campaign of all time, you know, in contention for one of the great comedic campaigns of all time. Um, Any creative listening to this who doesn't know Real Men of Genius, please hit pause on this episode and go Google it immediately. Mark, my question to you, what's your favorite Real Men of Genius ad and can you recite it from memory? I probably will not be able to recite it from memory, it's that's tough. for sure. I don't know if the one I
1: wrote so many you know, we did about two hundred and fifty of them and so so many writers did them. Um, you know, of course, my I'm near and dear to the first three that Bob Winter had brought in, um, which was bowling shoe, giver outer, foam finger inventor, and golf ball picker upper. Um <laughs> I probably my favorite that uh, myself and Bill wrote together was Tiny Thong Bikini Wear and uh, Taco Salad Inventor um, I always had a thing for taco salads so it, it was it was such a great because you your writing them was kind of like you were a stand-up comedian like okay what could we you know rip on it you just write all these topics down and I just always laughed that people would call it a salad and yet you had 10 pounds of sour cream and guacamole and cheese on that thing and it's like it's anything but a salad so Probably Taco Salad, but oh man, I don't think I could. Uh, it's been a while since I heard him. I, I cannot, you know. And my favorite line from it was, you know, it's a salad, isn't it? You know, a 10,000 calorie creation. I, I forgot him. Man, there was, there's so many.
0: They're so good. 250 of them is incredible. Taco Salad was high up there for me. I think my personal favorite was uh, Mr. Cargo Pants Designer. Bud Light presents Real Men of Genius. Real man of genius.
1: Today we salute you, Mr. Cargo Pants Designer.
0: Mr. Cargo Pants Designer.
1: You finally gave us what we wanted. The military look without all that bothersome drilling, marching and shooting.
0: Fashion victory.
1: Is that a banana in your pocket? Yes. And an orange. And a pocket comb. And an extra set of keys. And my sunglasses.
0: Totally prepared
1: now how many times have you been in a restaurant and thought man i wish i'd brought my own jar of mayonnaise now you can yeah. so crack open a nice cold bud light oh prince of the pockets some may fill your shoes but no one can fill your pants mr cargo pants designer but like beer st louis missouri yes i forgot who uh
0: totally prepared now
1: Yes. And those were, it was so fun to do those lines because we wrote so many of the uh, singer lines. We had a chorus singing as well as Dave Bickler, who was the singer on Survivor. And, um, we would just we'd get go into the sound studio, it was scandal music at the time in Chicago, and we'd go in there with just a list. And he'd put on the headphones and we'd be like, All right, sing totally prepared now. He'd be like, totally prepared now. Like, perfect. Okay. Sing, you know, these pants are itchy. And he would just blast them out. Um, we'd break for lunch, we'd go back in, we'd do some more. So yeah, it was it was a highlight of the career for, of my career for sure. Um a lot of great writers touch that jeb quaid who we uh often use for freelance was a really funny writer and he wrote uh adspf sunwear um which was one of my faves and uh jorts jorts inventor that was the other good one
0: so now let's get into high dive you co-founded it in 2016 it's become one of the best indie shops in america you know after you know nearly a quarter of a century at one of the biggest holding companies agencies and it sounds like you were really happy for for your time there what was the impetus to start your own shop i mean leaving these places the longer you stay the the harder it is to leave and they incentivize you not to leave and and what what did that decision look like for you
1: well i i can't say that i didn't think of doing it earlier so um you know i i tell people this story all the time um it's an interesting business in that you can start without a lot of capital, right? If, if you have no accounts, then your only capital is not getting your salary, which I did. Um, but as a startup, if you have an account or you have some connections, you know, account you leave with or connections in the business, it's it's not super hard of a business to start. So there's that. You know, it, it just takes the gumption. I we talk, Anyone who's super successful in the business, I think at one point, you turned in one another and say hey should we open our own shop you know like it's that kind of business where you where you do that maybe other businesses as well but um and so i just it, i was at a point in my career where um i needed to change management had changed over you and patterson who i absolutely adored who was our um cco left uh new management came in and uh i had just had enough you know i saw okay i'm kind of stagnant in my career i felt i wasn't even busy enough at the time you know but i was i was doing skittles and starburst and, and some of the mars wrigley business which i loved and love them as a client and uh it just was time i started to look around i i spoke to victors and spoils uh no longer there um with spoke with andy nathan in in boulder and then um i i got a, i was speaking to the guys from mechanism in Chicago. A lot of them were lateral moves and I always wanted to do it. And Chad whispered in my ear and I'd worked with Chad a ton. And I just said, you know, this guy's super smart. He's an extremely hard worker. If I'm going to take, take the jump, let's do it. Um, and I, I like that he was younger. You know, we can't come at it from two different perspectives. I've been doing it a lot longer than Chad has done it. Um, and I just think it was going to be a good, a good combination.
0: Yeah, Chad Brody is your co-founder and co-CCO. You know, when you guys were deciding to do it, uh, as co-CCOs, did was there any, you know, when you start a business, there's the skills that you know you bring to the job, you know, specific to the creative product, and then you know you're going to be challenged to develop some new skills that you know you may have some inclination that you may be good at or not as good at. Was there any sort of fear that had to be overcome in terms of a skills gap, um, you know, to like to bridge the to, to sort of bridge into this entrepreneurial venture? For sure. I mean, some of it, was probably naive, not knowing some of the
1: things we probably needed to learn. And luckily we picked up some great partners along the way that picked up some of those <laughs> things we couldn't do and the deficiencies we had, you know, namely Megan and Louie. But, um, for sure. I think, um, I'm not a terrific salesman. I don't, I don't love being the front sales guy. And so that's something we had to do, uh, frequently when we started, um, but, you know, you put on that hat and you do it. You learn things that, like, you know, it's funny. I was, as an ECD at the time, you get your hands a little less dirty. Like, you're looking at work. You're not, you know, getting down and doing layouts. And, like, I like how to teach myself keynotes. I, like, was putting together yeah. presentations. Like, literally, I started from the bottom. So, um, we just, you know, buckled down and did things and learned things that we didn't know and 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 taught ourselves, you know, whatever we didn't know how to do and made mistakes along the way for sure. But um, really, I think we, we soared when we partnered with Megan and Louie, who are really the account management part of heart of heart, a part of high dive. And, um, you know, sorry, I have dogs uh, barking here. I purposely put them downstairs. This wouldn't disturb us. It's
0: okay. It's not disturbing at all. Um, I mean, it's weird that you're stepping on the dog's neck. I mean, that's an unusual choice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My uh, my baby Boston. I don't know why you
1: barking down there.
0: So I'm on the door.
1: Um, but yeah, back, you can ask me that again, but I, I don't know give you a good answer. But for, yeah, some of the things we were deficient in uh, that we had to overcome.
0: No, you gave a great answer. I mean, I, you know, it's interesting, just the selection of a partner in a venture like this, like, you know, w- what is the alchemy with you and Chad? How do you guys complement each other? You know, is is he was he better at the salesmanship part of it? Maybe what's the thing that he's a little uncomfortable about that that comes more naturally to you? Um, That's a great question. I I mean, I I think we both aren't
1: the great sales guys where we, which is funny. We just put on the hat and had to do it. Um, It was perfect. Well, one, I always had the art director design background. Chad's a writer background. I think he's a little less uh, concerned with the nitty gritty details. Sometimes of things and presentations where I would be moving spacing over and he wouldn't care. And he just, Thinks about the broader big idea. So that has certainly helped us. Um I think he brings uh just a younger mindset, you know, to the business and some of the things he thinks about it. Again, he's, you know, he's under 40. And so um it's just sort of how he interacts with culture, I think, is is different than myself. Although I'm a student of culture, I have to be as the owner of the agency. So that's a little bit unfair to say of myself. But um, yeah, it's, 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 we're we're, same, we're, we're different a lot and yet we're the same a lot. I think that's what, you know, made us work well together. Um When you, when you fight, what do you fight about? Usually ooh, a lot of, you know, along the way, we certainly had some fight over business decisions, um, it, it, which I can't even probably recall now, you know, um, do we, do we pitch something or not pitch something? Um, you know, an idea that, that he likes that I didn't like, but we're, we're pretty good at one of us acquiesces. You know, I think we might battle, but we're able to put down the sword quickly and be like, fine, go for it. You know, if you believe in it strongly enough, then, then I'll back you. So I think both of us, um, don't have egos. We didn't get into it for that. I think we like to just, build the house and keep to ourselves and do great work and um that's what we set out to do um so yeah we're, we're fairly compatible there I, I have to think about some other things that that we argue about but um we've gotten better I think early on when there was a stress building the business I think we fought about more um I think as we've grown over these seven years I think we've learned to to tolerate uh indifferences a little bit better
0: yeah, I think it's like a marriage too, sometimes where it's like, you know, part of the role you play for each other is like you allow each other to blow off steam, you know, in the direction of each other and, and know, like, man, this actually might not be personal. I might be the only person who he can just, just be whiny and complainy to for 10 minutes before he moves on from this thing. For sure. Um
1: we're good about doing we're good about doing that behind the scenes i agree it's, it's you know sometimes we have our owners meetings together and and that's when we can we can bitch but um you know we we never do it in front of anyone and again it's it's uh it's far and few between i think i think we do complement each other things that he gets hung up on which i'm trying to think of civics i don't and things i get hung up on he doesn't and so it it, it kind of works
0: in the early going, was there an agency or two in particular that you guys felt like, "Hey, we should sort of model ourselves after this," or "We should sort of take some specific inspiration from them"?
1: You know, I I don't know if it made it into my LinkedIn post. I I have one coming up a second. I'm doing a two parter. One was about uh, client relationships and dealing with clients, and the second was just wisdom of things I've learned over the years. And one of them I had in there was um, I think Wyden Kennedy. I've always had tremendous respect for over the years. I think. They've stayed true to their core values and who they are. Um, They didn't try to get too big. I think they've done outstanding work, and they've done it on clients that you wouldn't think would normally do good work. So, um, I always greatly respected them. I, I I respected uh, and still do Goodby over the years. I think they've stayed true to who they are. Um, You know, as much as I, I, I loved Crispin back in the day and what they were doing. You always heard the stories, and again, this is a judgmental seeing it from the outside. I know you said you work there. Um, but they they didn't keep accounts for a long time. I think they burned hot and fast. So they get them in, they do it great, and then they lose the accounts So I think we're interested in doing that at High Dive. You know, we're definitely a bit about uh, healthy client relationships are important to us. So, you know, I, I didn't like the agencies that come in that are the flash in the pan. I like the ones that that stay true and do it consistently over time.
0: Yeah. And you you mentioned this, but you know, about client relationships, you certainly can learn a lot from an agency by the largest headline on their website. and the largest on yours reads, "Our mission is to create the healthiest client agency relationships in the world." And when I read that, it took me back because I've looked at a lot of agency websites and I've never seen that before. Um, and you cite the philosophy of Brene Brown, who I'm a huge fan of. So you know, of all the things an agency could lead with, tell me tell me why you chose to lead with this. Yeah, it's
1: funny, you know, as a as a creative deep now, that's one of the things we argued over, myself and Chad, although he he always he didn't necessarily want to lead, he wanted to have something that led uh with more more about the creative and our creative process. But they kind of go hand in hand. I think, you know, myself, Megan, Louie, dear Louie, who passed away and Chad, anytime we've done good work over the years, it's always been with a good client relationship, whether it was me working on Anheuser-Busch on Mars Wrigley cars.com when I had the good relationship. Um, and currently with our current clients, you know, it's Jersey Mike's Jeep. it, It always leads to good work. And we say that like, you know, we always talk and we, we have pitches. It's, it's, it's also actually scientific. They say that like creativity shuts down when there's negativity, you know, the creative part of your brain. So, um, We led with it because we really believe in it. You know, we're, I I think our client service is outstanding. It's, we deliver that in tandem with, with great creative work and that's important, you know, um, and clients play that back to us and they say really good things about dealing with us. I think it's why we haven't been fired yet by a client since we've been in business. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, as part of our seven values, creative comes first is our number one value, but Healthy relationships is certainly is certainly number two.
0: Well, the the definition of healthy relationship is certainly subjective. When I think about healthy client relationships across my career, I feel like the the um, the thread is a sort of a lack of formality. And I feel like when I'm not enjoying my job, everything just feels like it's a this like five course meal at a five star restaurant where you're supposed to behave in a way that's not who you are so i mean for you what are some of the hallmarks of of a healthy client agency relationship and 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 i guess part of that question is how might this mission sometimes get misconstrued um well
1: i think it's misconstrued in that you know i think some people look at us and say why is that why are you leading with that you know as a creative agency um but i'll answer the first part of what you said. I mean, there's a lot of facets too, but the one thing I totally agree with you—that it doesn't mean that there isn't um, battling going on, and you know, um, having difficult conversations with your clients. I think that's fine. We're not saying that a shangri-la. This is marketing, and that's going to happen. Um, I think it's one. I, I love what you're saying about formality. I, I agree. I think the best clients. They know when to loosen the reins. Um, I think the worst client relationships are the ones that are steeped in a lot of layers and they hold on very tight and they pay attention to like, you know, testing and how the test results are going to be. And there's just a lot of like not letting loose and and being like, okay, we're just, we're also human beings here. Let's just do business. We know we have a big problem ahead of us, but l- let's, let's work together. Um, so that's one of them, but I think it's, it's open communication. It's, it's not, you know, I, it, there's a big, you know, there's a big discussion in the business where the topic is always like um, how much work do you bring? Do you say no to the client? You know, it's like, when, when do you like fight for that idea, you know, and piss them off enough that it ruins the relationship. But one of our philosophies is always, there's always another way. So, you know, when we're dealing with clients, if, if they say no and they say no again and no a third time, we're not the kind of agency that's going to be, say, too bad. We come back with another solution. There's always another way to solve it. And we come back and usually, you know, we solve the problem. So um, it's that. It's, it's it's honesty and fairness. You know, again, we got in this business, uh, obviously, to make a profit. But I think we want to be very fair in what we we charge our clients and very upfront. Um, we want to offer them, you know, the best talent on their business and not throw juniors at them. Um that don't know what they're doing. So God, it's it's so many things that, that have to do with a healthy client relationship. And it's and it's trust. We'd like to build trust early on. I think you can, you know, it's all about how can you get to great work and selling great work and building the brands. And I think they you have to build a little bit of trust up front where they say, okay, we trust you. We'll go with that idea. We'll 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 take the risk. And if you don't, I think you're you're in for it if you don't set the trust up front.
0: Yeah. It's a double edged sword. You want lack of formality, but lack of formality can sort of um, can start to impose on boundaries. And so part of lack of formality is like, Hey, you can text me anytime and you can call me anytime. And especially when they're coming to you in the early days where there's, you know, you and Chad are the creative department, you know, um, and, and that's what you can offer that a huge agency can't is like the seat, the two senior, most people are the ones whose sleeves are rolled up, working on this. And we care about this deeply. And anytime it's on your mind, it's on our, on our mind. And then all of a sudden, instead of one client, you have five clients. And if everybody's calling you every night and every weekend, then, you know, then, you know, then what is life? Absolutely. I agree with all that.
1: Luckily, we haven't had the clients that have texted us all the time on weekends, but, um, it's, it's such a great point. I think it's one of the things that helped us succeed, um, is telling clients that same thing. We 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 do we are still very involved in the business myself, Chad and Megan. Um we don't do the Ivory Tower thing and we say that exact thing that you said. we like, if any you got a problem anytime, you let us know. Uh text us, call us. We're in the meetings with them. Hey, maybe I won't be able to make a couple of small meetings, but um, you know, we're there in the trenches. Uh and it's 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 helped us. Um, but luckily we haven't had that. I mean, Louie, the great uh, late Louie. Uh, we miss him so much, but he was really good at getting in with clients and not minding at all. Sometimes he's had conversations with clients at 10 at night, you know, on a Saturday yeah. uh, and loved every minute of it. <laughs> so um, if you like it, that's fine. Open up that door and allow for the communication. If you don't, I guess you got to set the boundaries, but um, luckily no one's, no one's overstepped. We're happy. You know, and I agree if you're passionate about a business and we're growing something so special, you don't mind taking those calls, you know, um, totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, wh- and and you know sometimes one call Saturday night at 10 PM might circumvent three weeks of of going in the wrong direction, you know? For sure. Um,
1: you, you know, it, it's like it was, it, I said in one of my posts, I just did this thing on LinkedIn, that like even just going to dinner when you're out in production with your client is so valuable to like get out of the work environment and talk about things. And I think like it's not just sort of laugh and have a good time, but you also maybe solve certain things. Uh, over those dinners, but it's a great, it's a great time to build a relationship with your client.
0: I think my biggest takeaway so far from starting an agency is really centered around the law of attraction, you know, that just that projecting to the universe who you are and what you stand for and your values will be the determining factor in which people will want to work for you and which clients will want to work with you. Um, what has High Dive, you um, what was, what, what was High Dive attracting when it started, especially in terms of talent? What were some of the, the marks of people who saw what you were doing and wanted to join? And, and how, if at all, has that changed you know, seven years later?
1: You know, Early on, it was people that had worked with us before. It, it literally, it was all relationship-based. That's who we started the agency with. So Riley Duggan, Sarah, uh, Pat Burke um Pat Burke knew Pat Seidel and Chris Rose um Casey Stern was friends with someone we knew so and and just Megan and Louie had a lot of friends they had worked with Chad and I knew a lot of people we worked with and I think you know it, it starts with the work so they started to see the work we were doing and then we had conversations we go to hire them and they know what we're about and what our reputations were in the business and and that's how we built the agency um we you know. Now, of course, we've grown much bigger, over 100 people, but early on, those those first 20 people, 30 people were all people we worked with in the past. Um, so I, I think they bought into to us, to, you know, the values we had when they worked with us, even outside of High Dive and what we stood for um, and sort of being good people with integrity and being authentic, you know, and having no hidden agendas. Um, and not trying to be right all the time and things mm-hmm. like that,
0: Mark. I don't know if you know this, but you know, relatively newer, you know, independent agencies are supposed to specialize in you know social TikTok campaigns, you know, a little precision marketing, a little B two B. You guys may seem to miss the memo on that. In, in just seven years, High Dive has carved out something of a niche as a go to shop for some of the best Super Bowl ads of the past decade. Uh, for the likes of rocket mortgage, lays, jeep dodge um a big part of this is you know you 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 you've produced a ton of super bowl ads in your previous life at ddb but but still be honest was this part of the original pl- plan was sort of offering an expertise specific to to super bowl it was not
1: um you know it's it's a pretty it's good niche that's a pretty good niche yeah i'll take it i'll t- yeah. i'll take it um you know, I was fortunate enough, like I said, at DDB to do so many super rules for us and for multiple brands, you know, cars.com uh, and Skittles and Bud Light. So we, we I got to be a part of a lot of them. Um, it really it wasn't the plan. You know, to be honest, our, our very first meeting uh, we had with Jeep, you know, when you show your reel, you um, you start by showing your reel from your other agencies. And so we had some big Super Bowl spots in there. And you know, Jeep, I think they answered our email and said, Hey, you might you might be the the the, the agency we're looking for. This is great. We love your work. And so from the very start, you know, they knew we could do that type of work. They didn't know we could do it at high dive. But um yeah, I we we got a, a good couple breaks and and sold Super Bowl and then you know, it really was relationship too. I think, our first big Rocket spot, you know, Casey Hervis, who's the um, CMO of Rocket, uh, was working with Michael Corbet, who had been in the business, and he knew my reputation of doing Super Bowl work. And they asked around and said, you know, hey, Mark has High Dive, he's done a lot of Super Bowl spots, why don't we why don't we give him a shot? And so that's how it worked. And, you know, and then, be, you know, Momo was testing number five in USA Today, and then Bill Murray being number one it slowly grew that we were we were known for doing big Super Bowl spots but yeah I'll I'll, I'll take that uh um, it's it, there's nothing more stressful than than doing them and the stress of you know the last few months and shipping them I mean uh, you know the Bill Murray spot we shot the Saturday and the Sunday the week before the Super Bowl and we're editing it on Monday Tuesday Wednesday night you know in the hotel room so the stress hold on of hold, on, hold cool. on
0: let's let's lay a little groundwork here because that's my personal favorite of High Dive's work. This is the 2020 Super Bowl. um, Groundhog's Day, reprising Bill Murray in one of his most famous roles. And just before I I hand the mic back to you, I just have to point out, throughout the 21st century, creative directors have been killing every white paper idea that includes Bill Murray. Uh, It's not that we don't want to work with Bill Murray. It's because we all know Bill Murray doesn't do ads. Bill Murray cannot be reached. It would be irresponsible of us to show a Bill Murray idea to our clients. Seriously, how the hell did you pull that off? You know, I, we
1: we have to credit Jeep and Olivier, who was the CMO. So um, they the brief had come in. They said, "Hey, uh, I think it was Olivier who said Groundhog Day is on Super Bowl," and he said, "You know the, the, obviously Bill Murray was in Groundhog Day. I have a relationship with him. What do you think?" and we said absolutely we wrote a script brought it to jeep and then uh i believe the initial contact olivier had sent a letter um to bill and got in touch with him and he it piqued his interest and then uh creative license um who does all our dealings uh talked to bill and he was interested and then i wasn't on the initial call it was really funny Chad had called me and he said, uh, I, I just got off the phone with Bill Murray. He's, he was on the golf course. I could barely hear him. The wind was blowing and he basically was, you know, you know, gunga talking to him, you know, on the cell phone. I'm like, Oh my God, what'd he say? He's like, I couldn't hear, I couldn't understand him. Um, but when he hung up, you know, we're we're so, so funny Chad and I, because we're both glass half heavy and glass full. We're, we're, I think our optimism has made us successful, but we're always, you know, cautiously optimistic and he had hung up the call and said in no way he's not gonna i don't know i don't know where this is gonna go you know it's bill murray and then monday he had like called back i think he and he's like are we doing this or not like i think he called chad directly and chad's like okay this thing is on and um you know i think there was some writing going back and forth and um you know it was funny at one point Bill remember, uh, Chad remembers Bill getting mad at him because they were talking about the hours he was going to put in during the day. Like, you know, he's talked to clients. So if you use a celeb, it's like, okay, 10 hours, one hour's makeup, one's travel, blah, blah, blah. I think Bill was like, I don't, don't worry about, what is this hours thing? Blah, blah, blah. Like he was just want to be like, sign the contract, I'll show up and do it. Like he didn't want any of that stuff, you know, in typical Bill Murray fashion. But um, he is who exactly who you think he is when you work with him on set. Like it's, it's, it's Bill Murray to a T. Unbelievable.
0: Man. Well, you know, I, again, I, you know, you start an agency, you, you and your, your partner sort of are the creative department, you start to surround yourself with people you trust, you remain hands on, you know, you're, you're creative at heart. Tell me how your role as co-CCO has changed in seven years. Do you, do you, are you still, would you still describe yourself as hands on? Are you a, a tinkerer, you know, are you okay? Seeing something that High Dive produces when it's finished, do you do you need to feel like you you at least have your fingerprints on every edit? Where where are we seven years in? That's a great question. Um, so I'm not a tinkerer.
1: Chad is more. When you ask about the difference between our relationship, I think he likes to do that more. Where I like to um, not trust in. That's a bad word, but um, I'm a little bit bigger picture. However. Um, we're still very involved in all of our businesses. And it's interesting. I always thought that that might be different, but seven years in, um, I see every edit, you know, to make things work a little more smoothly, Chad and I, sometimes we work together on accounts and other times we split things up. And so it allows us to just put more attention to our individual accounts um, whereas, you know, Chad might oversee airheads a little bit more. I'm overseeing, uh, Jersey Mike's, but we, we share work with one another, but I, I don't tinker. I, I let our teams do their thing, but I'm still very involved in the work. Um, and that might change three years from now, but, um, I think that's why we started the agency. We're both creative guys at heart, like you said, and, um, I, I have no interest in, coming in me like, okay, everyone do your work. It's, you know, I'm going to be golfing like, um, although I would like to take some more days golfing, but we're still involved in the work. Um, it's what we promise our clients. It's, it's what we like to do. Um, you know, I, I think there are small things like if guys are really banging out radio on a certain account, like I don't need to see all of those, you know, if we're doing Super Bowl i'm involved in the edit if you know we're doing a big round of jersey mike spots with danny devito i'm very involved actually go to the shoot still all the time chad was just out on a shoot uh for state farm so um long way of saying uh we're still very involved both of us yeah
0: and you know part of it is a sense of obligation to go to the jersey mike shoot and another part of it i i sense from you and we share this is like you know you're from jersey you were supposed to sell toilets I'm from Arizona. I was supposed to take over my dad's bar. Like if you don't find it fun to go, you know, all these years later to go to set and do comedy with Danny DeVito, then like go do fucking something else. I agree. I agree. Someone's wrong with you then. Um, it's again, it's from the very heart of why we
1: started the business. Like I think, and, and Chad probably even loves it a little inkling more than I do. And, um, not only that, like, first of all, it's Danny DeVito. Second of all, it's an important account to us. Third of all, it's a terrific client. They're amazing people. Um, and it's just, it's it's a good time. They're not, you know, um, when we talked about clients, uh, you know, a couple of minutes ago, they're not one of those clients that, you know, holds on to everything extremely tight. They have trust in us. There's certain things they want done. We do it, make sure we, you know, we're, we're buttoned up, but they're great. So yeah, I, I love it. Um, production always was and always will be, I think one of the most fun thing, you know, we're making short films, the world sees them, you know, my parents to this day, call me up when they (laughs) see the work, send me the work, you know, what are you working on? You know, and it's, it's, it's why we do this, you know, the the, the hard part is the coming up with the strategy and racking your brain and trying to sell it and stuff going and testing and pitching business and all of that. I think is is the hard part. You know, it's I always say like uh, the architect when you're building the plans, you build and build and build, but it's finally fun to finally build the house. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think that that's the fun part. I still love it. Um, yeah, thank my lucky stars for it. I think all of us, you know, it's it's advertising we're working. It's technically white collar, but it's still a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> it's advertising. So uh, it's creative. Mark, like me, you, you remember a time, um, you know, before social media and after social media. And um, and similarly, I feel like, so you saw this sort of, we've seen this shift in technology, I think for guys who started in this industry, you know, mid to late 90s. And like, we remember um, what was valued in managers in our industry. And that has shifted quite a bit. And we sort of came up in an industry where, you know, it was sort of being lauded to be an asshole and to be, you know, an auteur. Um, And, and, and I think, you know, thankfully that's changed quite a bit. And so for us who sort of remember the before and after of the, of the asshole creative director as this heralded thing, like, you know, we've kind of adapted our styles of, you know, we, we had, I don't know about you, but you know I worked for bosses who were really hard on me, and in some ways I look back on that with great appreciation because there was this honesty and candor of people who were really pushing me. Um, but you know that can that can also like that can also go into a bit of a toxic place, and 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 we don't speak to employees like that anymore, and we have more you know respect for the people we work with. A byproduct of that can be an overcorrection where we're too soft on people as well, and people can take advantage of that as well. Where do you sit on the spectrum? Do you worry about being too hard, being too soft? Which one comes more naturally to you? Uh, being
1: too soft, for sure. Um, but I I do love the quotes. Um, it's funny, Mischief posted it on a LinkedIn thing, but I used this quote way before this. I'm like, damn, you took that quote, but I love it, which was, don't ever mistake uh kindness for weakness. Um I said it to my old president once. uh, I forgot why, but um, I think he said to me, you're too nice. Um, But I'm 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 a little bit like my hero, Conan O'Brien. I think he is kind of self-deprecating person who wanted to be liked and was always conscious about being a good person. Um, So... I never even though it was tolerated back in the day, I never wanted to do that. It's just not part of my persona. Um I think I was able to get great work out of people without doing that. Don't get me wrong, I'm you know, I could be cold and insular and lack a little bit of empathy for sure. I'll blame my parents for that. I'm kidding, in case they listen to this. But um I don't think there's ever a reason to directly uh be mean to someone personally you know if it has to do with business and they're, they're failing in their job maybe um y- you can put the hammer down but it just was never my style um you know i've certainly lost my cool before but usually not at people directly it's over the situation and have you know i I've, I've sent some emails off that were not great um mm-hmm. But luckily, I think overall, in the totality of my career, I don't think everyone, no one comes away saying, God, he's an asshole to work with, or ever would say that I was an asshole to work with. And I like that. Um, you know, Birnbach, I think one of his mottos in DDB adopted it as well is we don't hire assholes, uh, high dive is the same. Um, I just don't think you need to be that way. You know, and I, some of it's youth sometimes, I think, you know, people grow. It's when I listened to uh, a big Tim Ferriss fan, and he had on... Uh, What's his name from La and Repair, one of my great, the great chef. And he said the same thing. Like he was a tyrant, I think. Early oh, Eric on. Repair. Eric Repair. Yeah. And he just is mellowed. You know, he's got more zen. And I think he just doesn't do that anymore. Um, but yeah, both Chad and I, although we've probably been seen losing our cool here and there, it's it's not at someone uh, for a personal reason or at people. I don't, I don't think anyone could do anything badly enough that they deserve to be. Uh, <laughs> reamed or treated badly as a person.
0: Yeah. You you talked earlier about salesmanship in the context of sort of pitching the agency and Chad and you pitching yourselves. You know, now salesmanship comes in the form of, you know, the salesmanship of ideas. And you said, you know, you're attending a lot of these meetings, bigger meetings, you know, where big ideas are being presented and hopefully sold. And what's your approach to that? What's your approach to sort of the salesmanship of ideas? in big high stakes client meetings these days, you you know, are you, do you think of yourself as a sort of, you know, incorrigible and energetic presence or a sort of restrained presence? Are you more scripted or more sort of, you know, shooting from the hip? Like how might a client describe your style of salesmanship? I see, I don't take, I'm always the jokester. I've always been the wise guy my whole life.
1: And so I don't take, anything seriously so i always err on the side of i want i like to take the tension out of the room i don't like tension i don't like stress and tension so i like just authenticity and being on a very real level and so i'm very honest sometimes maybe sometimes to a fault with my clients um about what i like what i think about the work i i'd say that i'm more low-key and you know i've always been considered a great presenter i like presenting the work um but it's having an honest conversation. Um, I'm not like someone who's extremely pushy. Um, I'll say, you know, I'll sort of reason with them rather than try to like ram something down their throats. And um, and I, we like to show a lot of stuff at high dive. Like I think when we showed during our uh, Momoa round, we might have shown twelve spots, you know, Super Bowl spots, maybe more. And um, Luckily, they gravitated toward the spots that we liked I don't I think the biggest danger of that is bringing stuff into the room you don't want to sell um you know I've certainly made that mistake over in my career um and regretted it but um yeah i'm I'm not the pushy salesman um I and and it's worked you know I, i've I've done the good work over the years and I think it's it's been successful I haven't had to be the like no you're doing this you're not doing anything you know uh I think that just builds bad blood over time with their clients so um you know like we went in with danny devito jersey Mike's. we said they may not want to spend the money and we went in with danny spots we went with non danny spots you know we said we're leaning toward danny for these following reasons but you may not have the money and luckily the way we presented it and the argument we made they they wanted to go with danny so um yeah we're not we're not the run into a room with a big Hammer and and start laying waste to the room. I think we're, we're more chill, present the work well, and and reason with the client, and and try to push the best work again.
0: And it goes back to the, the the law of attraction thing I mentioned earlier. It's like if they're in the room with you, especially now, they should have a sense of the type of work they're going to see and, and presumably what they came there for in the first place. Like, you're probably in, you're probably more worried about boring them than you are about scaring them, you know, like, it's, you know, now you've, you've set the bar in such a place where, you know, you don't want your, it's very difficult to continue at that level and and to continue to sort of, you know, meet that quality, that level of quality. And a, a new client comes to you because you did it for an old client, and you want to deliver for them in that in the same high quality way. For sure. And I'm always the one who, and Chad's probably the
1: same way. Again, this is one of the things I think why we're compatible is we're like, is it good? It probably sucks. I don't know. We have 10 spots and then you see them as you're prepping for a meeting, you've seen them over a month. And so you're like, you right. really to dislike them. And uh, it, it's why I sometimes love bringing, a, you know, people say, oh, account management and creative to keep them separate. But like, it's sometimes why I like to, to have that big meeting and bring the account management and some of the producers and like, what's their initial reaction? Because I think they're going to react to it. Like the client reacts to it. Um, and it's not that we're asking for a consensus and that's how we pick the work, but it's just good to see people's visceral reaction to the work that hasn't seen it before. Because yeah, we were, again, like I said a few minutes ago, I think we always err on the side of we're not good enough. It sucks. It should be better. Uh-oh, we don't have a good meeting. And you we're usually always wrong. You come out it and we're like, they loved it. They love this and that. And it's not until you finally, you know, get out of your own little insular vacuum and and present the work that you can see who else likes it, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's probably every artist, you know. This is this business is a lot of art, and I think all great artists always. Ugh. I don't like it. And, you know, then you do the spots and you like, you don't want to watch them when they're on the air. It's 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 You don't even know what stuff.
0: you're looking at anymore. You write them for months, you present them, you refine them, you sell them, you produce them, you edit them, you post-produce them. And then you just, you don't even know what, I I'm, I'm, some of my best work, I remember just showing it to somebody before it comes out and I was like, is this, is this even good? And like, is, people are going to love this. I'm like, I don't know. I think this is a piece yeah. of shit. It's like, you've been living with this. It's why, you know, you brought up like, Making the mistake of showing something that you're not actually wanting to make as sort of meeting fodder. And I remind myself and my colleagues of this all the time. It's like, why are we presenting this? Well, I think our clients will like it. I think you're right. I think they'll like it too. I'm not worried about them liking it. I'm worried that they're going to like it and buy it. And then we're going to have to fucking live with this for the next five months. This is what we're going to be living for the next five months of our lives. Yeah, it's the
1: worst. And I would say it's funny, like bad work. Everyone wants to run from bad work. No one wants to work on it in a distance. Good accounts and good work, everyone wants to come work on it and be a part of it. Everyone wants attachment to it. But um, I know a lot of times the client, you know, it was faced with a situation of like, they asked for something that we all clearly like, it's not going to be good. It's not a good ask. So what I always do is I say to teams, bring them back what they asked for. Let's write it up that way and bring in three other things and then just show them that, you know, so you have the like, here's why yours doesn't work. Here are the three things we like better. You know, I was, I think it was like car shopping. You go in, the first car you're looking at is a Nissan. And then the guys like, you don't want to drive the Toyota. Buy this Nissan. It's fine. Trust me. We're like, but I do want to test drive that. And you'll never sort of trust them until they can see both. So I always, I always like to bring them what they're asking for and try to talk them out of it if we disagree, you know. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes the client's right. We all know <laughs> we've been there as well. Definitely.
0: Um, so. The tricky thing with what you're saying is, bring them back what they asked for. But then the next step that I'm sure you guys do is can you, can you write it in a way that shows someone dared to make a, an earnest attempt at this to actually make a good, Bogusky had a great term called a malicious obedience. It's like, (laughs) I don't agree with your feedback. I've done what you've asked. I've brought it back. See, it's a piece of shit. It's like, well, that's not really the, if that was your demeanor when you were writing this, then it never stood a chance. So it is a funny balance. Like, can you bring back a thing that you don't want to bring, but, but actually give it, you know, an earnest try?
1: You know, I've never heard that he did that, but I, I love it because I do the same exact thing. I love the term for it. I'm going to use it from now yeah. on. Um, but that's exactly what I do. And it's, it's, you know, 96% of the time it's, it's successful. I don't, you know, I I don't do it maliciously to go back to them and say you're stupid here it is but it's like you know here's why it doesn't work I just just structurally most of the time like I said 96% of the time clients like, oh, totally agree we see what we asked for it doesn't work I just you want to show them otherwise they think you're not listening to them you know but um I love it I love that Bogusky, uh did that
0: wrapping up here pretty <coughs> excuse me wrapping up here um you mentioned widen and what you admired about them, staying true to their values, not growing too fast. As you look to the future of high dive, you know, again, historically agency success has been measured in revenue and growth and headcount and all that. And, you know, for you and your partners, when you guys sit down to talk about, you know, the next decade of high dive, what does success look like for you? What are some, what are some of the kind of you know, consistent threads in those conversations about, you know, the, the vision for the for the next seven years? It's it's a great question. I, you know, one
1: of the things we always say is we we don't want to get big enough, we want to grow and never lose the culture, right? Um, I think that's what I admire so much about widen. Um, I think they've grown to a place where they feel comfortable and they haven't lost their culture. So, you know, I, I don't think myself, Megan, and Chad uh, desire world domination. You know, I think we certainly would love to see a few more offices. Um, you know, we have a lot of people working in Richmond. Uh, we have some discussions about opening an office there. We have some people working for us out of London. So, I think one of our goals is to have a few more offices. But um, you know, we're, we're 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 not we're not in it for the greed and growing the company to grow the company. Um, you know, part of what I say is in this business, you're forced to pitch and grow because. It's it's such a precarious business. Like a new CMO comes in and you lose that account. Um, Megan and Chad probably don't agree with me, but I said if I had five great clients that they sign seven year contracts, I would love that. We know what we're you know what we have in front of us. You learn to know the client, the relationship, and continue to do good work. But you can't. You're you know you're just always pitching, pitching, pitching. You have to do it to keep feeding. I say the coal into the into the runaway train so um yeah we want to grow big enough we don't lose our culture I think uh we do we we, our dream is to within the next uh year or two years to open another office and um you know we we got in it to to do great work um we like the recognition myself and Chad but it's not something we got in it for I mean don't get me wrong we we like to see it but like we talked about earlier, I think one are the people the type of people who you win it, and you're like, yay, okay, let's get back to let's get back to work. <laughs> yeah. We probably should enjoy it
0: more. But um yeah, slow, steady growth, keep the culture uh, You're not responding to the to the emails from the random strangers and bots promising to help you um, get acquired for top dollar by a venture capital firm in Mongolia. We get plenty of uh, isn't it amazing firms contacting us <laughs> like crazy? I
1: know, and like the weird thing, it's not even like a personal call of like, hey, this is so and so, maybe we could do this for your business, but that's always dangerous, you know. Um, private equity, they you know, they're in it for their own investments and they want to do whatever they can to see a return on their investment. So, I don't know if they have their best interest in mind, you know, if you ever. Going to sell or do something like that? I think it has to be in the best interest of of the company and your employees, and you know that you're leaving a good legacy, not to sort of just you know sail off into the sunset and leave leave your your people hanging. So, uh, yeah, I, I we get those all the time. The the I get them in LinkedIn. I get them an email from the private equity firms, like ugh.
0: Well, and really- I think you know for both of us, it's like. We have the benefit of knowing our history. You know, you've had friends who've worked at agencies, who started agencies and, you know, sold some or all of them. And it's great to be able to go and talk to them and just take a poll of, you know, uh, who feels great about it 10 years later, who regrets it 10 years later, who tries to buy back their stake, you know, 10 years later, who, you know, turned that relationship into rocket fuel. So, I think just to be able to, you know, tap into some of these, you stick around long enough in this industry and you're going to have friends who've sort of done everything and be able to tap into that wisdom. For sure.
1: Yeah. And, and again, I say, if you're going to
0: do it, it probably, you're doing it
1: selfishly to just make money and run, or are you doing it that it maybe uh, does something at the benefit of the company and, you know, gives you a, a, um, ways of working you weren't doing before it adds a new yeah. a new facet to the agency um and grow so i don't know i know i should ask you know i know 72 and Sunday they went they're owned by stagwell a little bit and yeah and it was
0: and then stagwell yeah
1: yeah and then Bensu so um it's funny i've never sat down and had those conversations but I'd, I'd be interested in doing so you're too busy on set with danny devito yes and and a, and a good guy he is he's a good guy to be on set with um he's such a professional he he gets it done. He's been doing it so long. You have no issues with him.
0: You're like standing he, next to this guy, and you're like, you were in fucking Taxi. I know. And you it's were weird. in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I know. It's weird when you try to talk to him about that stuff. I think I brought up Taxi once, and
1: he just sort of just like looked right, right through me. I don't know if, I don't know if he, just, he was – we were taking a picture later, and it wasn't like a one-on-one, but uh, I really wanted to talk to him about that because I grew up with Taxi. He's one of my favorite – Louis de Palma is one of my favorite characters ever in TV uh, sitcoms and
0: uh yeah i'd love to have an hour long conversation about that all right mark we end every episode with the same three questions are you ready yes okay number 1 what is the word or phrase of advertising jargon that makes your skin crawl the most
1: i'll i'll say this with an asterisk qual and quant testing um i think i'm okay with it as long as it's used sparingly and for red flags and to your advantage not to pick work. So um it's you know, what was Henry Ford's great quote? If they asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, you know, and you build a car. So um I, I always forgot a little bit when I hear qual and quant testing again, because I don't think that that leads to great work, letting groups outside of the industry uh, pick pick the work. So that's probably you my don't want you
0: that. don't want a nineteen year old in Des Moines to creative direct your work. No. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. Sure. Question number two, what is the most memorably fucked up response you ever got from a client during a creative presentation?
1: You know, I thought about this. I I, I don't have any really amazing stories. You know, when I used to present, I'll give you two. Um, one's a positive, one's a negative. Well, not a negative, but anheuser Bush back in the day, they were, you know, we had such a tight relationship with them. They would just basically... You know, I've ripped up boards in front of them before because the room just goes silent or they give me they give me a next, you know, and still make fun of me. Like if the spot was bad, they'll make fun of me like for weeks after. That's that's great. The spot. So um probably some great answers, but and I'd never forget doing that. Some like I presented a spot once and like the room just bombed. I forgot what they said. I basically tore up the board in front of them, like, well, we're not making that one. Um it, on, on the opposite side, I heard a positive response once. You know, we pitched um overhauled uh rye whiskey for the beam centauri client and they said to us that they were texting each other on the side that they they didn't want the presentation to end they were like they were loving the work so much that they were like they they keep going i'm like i had never heard that in a pitch in my life and uh it was it was really great to hear um that, that 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 they said that but yeah so both opposite ends of the spectrum there
0: You know, it's a great reminder, though. I mean, so often the clients we work for, I mean, we're a small part or a medium part of their day. And the things that they're doing when they're not meeting with us are presumably not as fun, you know, and I'm sure they can be pretty, they can be in things that are pretty dense and pretty clinical. And so I take seriously our responsibility to sort of make that hour that we have with our clients. That should be the most fun part of their day. If the meeting's not fun and we're not laughing in a room of eight people, how do you expect eight million people to laugh? Absolutely, And, you know, I've had, you know, to, to remain nameless, I've had
1: clients in the past, like sometimes like we're on Zoom, not current clients. Um, and the cameras are off and, you know, I have, I'm like, we're showing edits like this is like the best CMOs I've worked with um, are, are in the trenches with you. They absolutely love the work more than you do um they just like Casey from from Rocket Mortgage loved it loved every minute of it he used to fly his client out and they share a house together like six of them as a client um you know go on the shoots and the same thing with like my Jersey Mike's client like they just they love the work and love being there um and and being a part of it so yeah that's it's you figure it is the best part of the day you you if if they're not enjoying it something's wrong And I I think we get off on it too, like the clients, you know, enjoying it. It's like you want that affirmation. You want, you know, the clients to be giving that good feedback. So,
0: final question the one that got away. What is the one beloved idea from any chapter of your career that you couldn't quite sell it, but it still lives in your heart? Maybe it still haunts you a little bit. Well, one, it's still in the back burner because, you know, Jeep, sometimes you
1: presented some stuff that might still come around. So, um, there was, There was one we presented it was this beautiful recording of this second grade girl reading this thing about adventure and exploration and she was reading this letter and we put it to um these great shots of jeeps you know exploring and it just i remember showing to my wife and she cried you know in in the living room and so to this day we may still sell it um it's on the back burner the other uh you know we had the general there was this of funny, funny goofy spot that i wanted to sell it's so silly but uh we had you know it turns out you could do this turns out the general is uh great insurance and it was the turns out campaign and we had we wrote one with fergie where uh Shaq was trying to pack his trunk and she's like, Can you, you're gonna be able to fit all that junk in your trunk? And so it was a junk and trunk back and forth. And uh I just wanted to make it so bad because it was silly, it was punny. Not that we should do puns in the business, but uh we contacted Fergie, didn't want to do it. And who's the other guy at Black Oh, uh,
0: um
1: Will I Am. Will I Am. They were fighting and no one wanted to sell it, but uh that's one recently that I was done to sell and I couldn't sell. But, it's um, funny.
0: Great advertising people. We, they all say we shouldn't do puns, but deep down, we all love puns. You're, it's just not a. It's very taboo to say you love puns, but deep down, put them, give them sodium pentothal. They will admit they they live for puns. I love puns more than anything. Not not <laughs> that word. But there was a famous
1: ad. What was it? What was it? In one of the award books years ago. It's like all we were saying is give peas a chance. It was like it was for peas. You know. 10 and, out of 10,
0: uh, no notes on that. That's perfect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but not in the work, but for sure. I'm, I'm, uh, I can punish people with my puns. I do love them. It's the dad well, jokes.
0: Congrats on your success. Congrats on your recent success. Uh, Jersey Mike's won by Jersey Mark. Um, yes, I was, I was so happy, you know, it was
1: speaking of luck. I'm just like, Oh my God, this thing, like I'm from Jersey. I love the product when they call this up, you know, they call a new business person. I said, absolutely. Yes. Let's talk to them. It's like, uh, you know, I'm from Jersey. My parents had a place in Long Branch, not far from, from where uh, Jersey Mike's is. So it was a blessing that we got them and they're great client. They're good people all from that area, all Jersey guys. And so um, uh, I feel, and Danny is the reason we didn't choose him for no reason. He's, his company is called Jersey films. He was born in Asbury park. He's a Jersey guy through and through. So that's why we chose him as spokesman. But Yes, I'm thrilled to have the
0: account. Well, I'll end with this. You know, I started by asking you which agencies inspired you when you started High Dive. And man, just please know that when we started Majority, one of the agencies that inspired us most was you guys at High Dive. I feel like our industry is entering a sort of new golden age of independent agencies that are delivering some of the biggest and best creative work in the world. And High Dive has played really a, a sort of pioneering role in this this small agency renaissance that we're in now. So man, it's great to meet you. Thanks for making the time to do this.
1: Thank you. And thank you for the compliment. I, I greatly appreciate that. And I know it sounds like, uh, we are, we are, we're competitive, but we Chad and I and Megan, I think we do love to see the agencies our size succeed. I think it's good for all of us. It's good for the industry. Um, so even if we get beat in a presentation or something, we'll say right on, that's you got us, you know? So, um, yeah, we're 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 rooting for you as well, and yeah, greatly appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was uh, it was a great conversation.
0: Great to meet you, brother. Talk soon. Great to meet you. Bye. Okay, thank you to my new friend Mark. Hey, thank you as always to Andrew Feltenstein, Dewey Thomas, and Leslie DeLulo at Beacon Street Music. And you know the spiel, guys. As always, if you're liking the pod, please subscribe, rate, review, share it with a friend or colleague. And until we talk again, peace. Let them clap for show. Let it wrap your resistance, make trap unknowns. Release for your heart, speak, balance flowing.